This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Uh, our first reading this morning is from Mark's Gospel, 29 to 34. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age. Houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. They were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. He took the twelve aside again and began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and then they will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit upon him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second Bible reading comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 31. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered by news of you. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Of all them... Of all them are seeking their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But Timothy's worth you know, how like a son with his father he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I will also come soon. Still, I still think it, I think it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and co-worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for all of you and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. He was indeed so ill that he nearly died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, so that I, so that I would not have one sorrow after another. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, in order that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. Welcome him then in the Lord with all joy and honour such people, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for those services that you could not give me. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, 
Your word is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Today, when we hear your voice, deliver us from hardness of heart. Help us to put away everything that keeps us from persevering in your way. For the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We'll be looking at the next section of this letter to the Philippians, this second chapter with its centrepiece, that stunning hymn to Jesus, the humble Lord. And today we see how Paul lands that extraordinary plane uh, in the lives of Timothy and Epaphroditus. We need to understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a success story, at least not in human terms. The more we read Philippians, the more I feel like this is just the letter we should be reading at this time. Like us, Paul is experiencing the, the disillusionment, the boredom, the disappointment, the anxiety and the frustration that comes from being restricted. He doesn't know what the future holds. His expected future hasn't come to pass. And he's distraught at the fracture in relationships, just as I know uh, some, uh, some of us, many of us, are distraught at the distance that's between us and our loved ones. Paul is feeling keenly a separation from his beloved Philippians. He appears to be a failure, but Paul does not despair. Now, not that he's in, he's in denial about his situation, he's not just an annoying optimist, is Paul. Paul weeps. But there's also something hopeful and joyful about him. The words joy and rejoice appear 16 times in this short letter. It's one of the great themes of the Philippian letter. And the key to that is that he remembers from that stunning passage, chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, that Jesus himself suffered in humble obedience to the Father, becoming a servant of God's people, even to the point of death death on a cross. Jesus himself looked to have failed. But the self-sacrifice of Jesus is the pattern for Paul and for us. For God exalted him to the, right, the, the, the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. The gospel's not a success story as we know it. It's not the story of the triumph of the lone human hero over adversity. Instead, it's the story of the one who gave himself up for the sake of others, who sacrificed himself, who laid down his rights so that they might belong to God and to one another. And this is not just a theory. Paul's got two flesh and blood examples of Jesus-like service to show the Philippians. Two guys who have lived it out, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And these two people, they're actually now going to meet. Since Paul can't travel himself and he doesn't have access to Zoom, these guys are going to stand in for Paul. They're going to represent what Paul wants to say to the Philippians in his affections and in his model, his example of Jesus Christ. And so let's have a look at Timothy and Epaphroditus. Now, firstly, Timothy in verses 19 to 24, and then Epaphroditus in the remaining verses from verse 25. And so firstly, Paul wants us to be like Timothy, a servant in the work of the gospel. Be like Timothy, a servant in the work of the gospel. So Paul says, first of all, that he's planning to send Timothy to Philippi in verse 19. Well, who was Timothy? We know quite a bit about Timothy from the New Testament. Timothy is Paul's best-known travel companion, and we find out that in the book of Acts. We 
we hear that Paul meets Timothy in his hometown on his second missionary journey, about 12 years before this letter was written. Timothy lived in what we now know as Turkey, in a town called Lystra. And he was an unusual bloke because he had a Greek father and a Jewish mother. In fact, Timothy's mother, uh, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois, were Christian, strong Christian believers who were known for their faith and for their godliness. Timothy's name means honours God. And we, we can imagine Eunice giving uh, her son this name in the hope that he would grow up in the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ. And Timothy was known for his good reputation. So Paul, when he went to Lystra, uh, had Timothy commended to him and took Timothy along with him on his journey. We see Timothy in the rest of the book of Acts. Because Timothy had a Greek dad, however, he hadn't been circumcised. So Paul had it done, so there wouldn't be an obstacle to Timothy preaching the gospel to the Jewish community. And so we can say without exaggeration that Timothy already had made significant sacrifices so that others would be able to hear about Jesus without any obstacle in the way. And Paul and Timothy developed a very strong bond, a father-son-like relationship that we can see in verse 22. The language Paul uses there is very intimate. Paul often mentions him in his letters as if they were a partnership. Um, So he will say, it's Paul and Timothy, as he introduces a letter And eventually, Paul wrote two letters to Timothy himself, called 1 and 2 Timothy, as Timothy prepared to become the leader of the churches in Ephesus, obviously a key role, because Ephesus is a big city. Now, Timothy, we perhaps he was a little bit timid and shy. We get that sense from some of the evidence in the New Testament. And occasionally, Paul has to encourage him not to be intimidated. Even in his mid-30s, Paul is telling him, Don't let anyone despise your youth as he takes up his ministry in Ephesus. Don't let the the old guys and the 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 elders of the church dominate you. Paul's plan is to send Timothy on a round trip to Philippi so that he can be cheered by good news of you. So Timothy's going to go to Philippi and return and cheer Paul up by the good news that he's going to share of how the Philippians are doing. And he tells the Philippians to look to Timothy's example because, as we see in verse 20, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. It's the authenticity of Timothy's concern is quite outstanding. That's what marks him out. He has a Christ-like heart, exceptionally so. He's willing to risk the travel of 2,500 kilometres from Rome to Philippi and back for the sake of the Philippians and for the sake of Paul, to connect them to one another. He puts aside his own interests and is filled with what is right for the sake of Jesus Christ. Now, they already know his reputation, the Philippians. He's served like like a son with a father with Paul in the work of the gospel. This has been going on for quite some time. It is a strikingly intimate picture, but more than that, we're perhaps to imagine the scene of a a first century tradesman doing his work in his workshop with his son apprenticed to him, watching on and helping him in the trade. Perhaps a carpenter and his son working together in the business, the son watching and observing and helping because he's learning so he can take over the business one day 
from his father. Now, what is the work in which Timothy was apprenticed to Paul? What was he to watch and observe? Well, it was the work of the gospel, and Paul actually uses that language, the, the labour of the gospel. Now, that was the trade in which Timothy was being apprenticed. And what does this work look like? With Paul, he learned how to share Jesus Christ, how to tell people about Jesus Christ, how to reason from the, the scriptures towards Jesus Christ, how to share the good news with Jews and with Gentiles, to plant churches, to set churches up and to keep them going and to grow Christian disciples. He gained Paul's deep insight into the Bible. He saw how Paul imitated Jesus in his life and he himself became a model for others to follow. Just like Jesus, Timothy gave himself as a servant for the sake of others because he saw Paul doing exactly that. There's nothing particularly alpha male about Timothy, you'd have to say. What impressed Paul and the other people about him was not his gifts so much as his character. He had a track record of putting others first, putting down his own rights so that others could hear about Christ, could hear the life-changing news of God's grace in Jesus Christ. Too often, sadly, this isn't what we look for in our leaders, in the church and outside of the church. It's not the kind of people that we celebrate. Look, he's not the kind of person that we put on a pedestal. But Timothy is exactly the kind of person we should want to be like. He is a terrific model of us. The example of Jesus Christ is refracted brilliantly through him. Do we have Timothy's Christ-like concern for the welfare of others? Do we seek our own interests or ambitions or do we rather pursue Christ's interests in all we do? We should hold up Timothy as an example of Christ-likeness, as a model for our own lives too. So that's Timothy. But what about this other bloke, Epaphroditus? Well, he's in verse 25 through to 30. We hear about him. And what Paul wants the Philippians to do is as they are going to be like and imitate uh, Timothy, they are to honour Epaphroditus, even though things didn't work out for him. This second name, Epaphroditus, uh, is the only place in the New Testament that we hear about him is in the letter to the, the Philippians. And Epaphroditus, his name means handsome. So we assume that he was quite a cute baby, or at least his mother thought so. Timothy is planning to send him, to send uh, Paul is planning to send Timothy later, but he's sending Epaphroditus to them now. And it's likely that Epaphroditus is the one carrying the letter and possibly the one who's going to read the letter out to the Philippians in their church meeting. Now, he'd been sent to Paul in the first place by the Philippians with some kind of care package to Paul. It's possible that he was quite a well-off guy himself, uh, well-resourced, and so he travelled at his own expense to make sure that Paul had the support and the comfort of his Christian brothers and sisters in his imprisonment, that he was supported as he continued to try and spread the gospel even when he was in chains. Uh, Paul says that Epaphroditus was your messenger and minister to my need. That's what he had done uh, being sent by the Philippians to support Paul. And Paul deeply appreciated it. What a gift he was. He says in verse 25, Epaphroditus was my, is my brother and my co-worker and my fellow soldier. He really elevates Epaphroditus here. He, the three words show, as one commentator puts it, 
Common sympathy, my brother. Common work, my co-worker. And common danger and toil and suffering. Epaphroditus experienced what Paul experienced, joined in the very work that Paul wanted to do. It's intimate and affectionate language once again, and it gives this great honour to Epaphroditus. Well, why? Why does Paul lift Epaphroditus up so much? Well, note that Epaphroditus' mission to Paul had not entirely been a success. Epaphroditus had become homesick. He longed for the people in Philippi, but he'd also got very ill. In fact, he'd become so ill that he'd almost died. Died, as Paul said, for the work of Christ. The trip had put his health in jeopardy, in fact, his very life. And so we can perhaps imagine Epaphroditus feeling somewhat ashamed at coming home from Rome and leaving Paul behind with the mission not accomplished. Paul says that he was distressed, Epaphroditus was distressed because, distressed because he, you heard that he was ill, in verse 26. Was this because he would have felt that he had let them down? It's funny how we feel like that sometimes when we are suffering, that we've become a burden to others and no longer able to serve them. When our human frailty becomes all too evident, we feel a sense of shame. Epaphroditus' physical weakness had become a matter of public knowledge and maybe he was distressed because it was now known that he hadn't been able to achieve what he had set out to achieve. And there's a hint of this as Paul explains why he's sending Epaphroditus back home. He wants the Philippians to rejoice in seeing Epaphroditus again. Indeed, he tells them to welcome him in the Lord with all joy and, and honour such people. They are to remember that it was for the work of Christ that Epaphroditus had put it all on the line, that he'd almost lost his life as the one sent by them in the first place to minister to Paul. Now, why would he need to tell them to rejoice, to be happy to see him and to honour him? Perhaps because there's a tendency for shame here, a shame in his failure and disappointment. I think of the way in which we uh, historically honoured returned soldiers who come, from, come back from victorious wars and yet wars which are not quite as victorious we tend to have forgotten. The shameful treatment of Vietnam veterans comes to mind. The ancient world was no less addicted to the success paradigm than we are. But the Philippians were to honour people like Epaphroditus, not the successful but the faithful. Now, I don't think this is an excuse, as it often is in Christian circles, for so-called faithful incompetence, pious, pious incompetence, we might call it. Ineptitude is still ineptitude. Sometimes Christians fail because we are rash or unwise or thoughtless or just foolish. There's actually a kind of faithlessness in that, an irresponsibility in the way Christians sometimes behave and then we dress it up in pious language. It's not excused just because we're sincere. But what we should honour here is faithfulness to the work of Christ, whether it succeeds or fails. Success in what we do so often lies in the hands of God. And God often uses our weaknesses rather than our strengths to do his purposes. It wasn't Epaphroditus' fault 
that he got sick in seeking to serve Paul and the Philippians and was invalided back home. What matters is that he gave himself and what he had for the work of Christ to serve Jesus and to serve those who are, who, who, to whom he belonged in Jesus' name. And for that he deserved to be honoured. And in Epaphroditus we see exactly the attitude of his Lord, of Jesus Christ, who did not seek equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself for the sake of others. It is this one that God exalts to the highest place and gives a name above all other names. I don't think the Philippians were to give Epaphroditus an equivalent name, but they were to honour him just as God had exalted Jesus. So who do we honour? This past couple of weeks, I finished reading a novel, quite an exciting novel, called The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand, who is one of the most influential philosophers of the 20th century. She's sold more than 30 million books, and apparently sales have been on the up since 2010. And she's a favourite of people like Rand Paul, politician from America, Alan Greenspan, and Steve Jobs. Rand is famous for her stories of rugged individualists who defy social convention, who get ahead and bring humanity forward by their tough focus on what they want. She once said that this was her, her ethics was this. She said, man, every man, is an end in himself, not the means to the ends of others. He must exist for his own sake neither sacrificing himself to others nor sacrificing others to himself. The pursuit of his own rational self-interest and of his own happiness is the highest moral purpose of his life. That is, self-interest is, is actually the highest moral purpose a human being might can pursue. In fact, she said that to sacrifice yourself, to speak of self-sacrifice, was immoral. And whether people have heard of her or not, we've certainly become a more Randian society in many respects, especially since about the 1980s. We celebrate and want to copy people who have that singular focus to succeed, that rugged individualism, those who will stop at nothing to get there. We overlook the ways in which they've climbed over the bodies of others to get to the top because that's what we believe it takes to get to the top. This is what we imagine freedom and happiness to look like. What would the Apostle Paul think of this? Well, an atheist, as an atheist, Rand despised Christianity because she could see that it was the complete opposite of her worldview. And we should give her credit to that. She understood Christianity. She understood Jesus Christ pretty well. She was right. Is Jesus a rugged individualist who teaches something about pursuing your own self-interest and happiness? Far from it. It is Jesus who is the humble Lord who became a servant and who gave himself as a sacrifice for us and teaches us that that's what we are to do. The Apostle Paul desired to be like Christ and taught others to imitate him. He poured himself out, as we see, saw in the passage from last week, he poured himself out like a drink offering for the Philippians. Timothy and Epaphroditus are Christian heroes precisely because they gave themselves, gave themselves for the sake of others. And what of happiness? 
One of the saddest things about happiness, if we can put it like that, is that it's rarely found by seeking it as your goal. But what about Paul? Remember, Paul's letter abounds in joy and rejoicing. Paul finds joy and rejoicing not in seeking his own happiness, but in others knowing Christ and growing in him. He finds his joy in others and knows true joy. He wants the Philippians to rejoice together in the Lord, the humble Lord Jesus who died for them. They are not to be individualists, but deeply connected to one another in Jesus Christ and because of Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ, the one who died for them. In honouring Timothy and Epaphroditus, Paul shows us just how differently we are to think about ourselves and others and our world. For at the centre of Christianity, the one we worship is the one who died for our sakes as a sacrifice and who calls on us to deny ourselves, to pick up our crosses and to follow him. And he calls us into a community that is to be marked by this spirit of loving service of one another. And when you have that picture of Jesus, the humble Lord at the centre, you cannot be the rugged individualist dedicated to your own self-interest anymore. You cannot think that that is a way for human beings to live. You cannot imagine that that is the way for human beings to be happy or fulfilled. So I want to ask you today, has the model of Jesus Christ shaped you in the way that it shaped Timothy and Epaphroditus? In a little while, we'll be talking to our CMS missionaries, Roger and Noriko Detlefs in Japan, currently ministering amongst students in Tokyo. Now, Roger is an ophthalmologist who for a long time has worked in different places, including in Wollongong, but also with the Fred Hollows Foundation. And together, Roger and Noriko have served in the past in PNG. And from 2005 to 2009, they went to Afghanistan. Now, what are they going to do with their retirement? What are they, what are they doing in their retirement? They've moved to Japan at their own expense to do the work of the gospel with Japanese university students. Now, make no mistake, it's tough work. Japan is one of the most resistant cultures to Christianity on the globe. But though it will embarrass them for me to say it, they are living out the model of Jesus just as Timothy and Epaphroditus did. So what about you? How are you seeking the interests of Jesus Christ with what you have rather than your own interests? In what sense are you a servant for the sake of others in the gospel of Jesus Christ? In what sense is this the purpose of your life? Does this shape how you think about your work, for example? Is your career about you? Or is it about how you serve others? What about your material resources? What have you been given them for? For your own happiness? Or for the work of Christ, the work that Jesus, the humble Lord, calls us to do? Could you have done what Epaphroditus did? Could you be a character like Timothy, truly a servant? In Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.